The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Welcome into episode 269 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan. Natty Hattie. That's my early morning one. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm Luke Lipinski, and it is it's 8 a.m. What are we doing up at 8 a.m.? <laughs> Don't of that. Don't of it's 8. We should have said like 5.30. Well, yeah, I meant 8 a.m. Uh, right. in, in London, but we live in Arizona, so it's like... Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And not London, Ontario. I meant London, England. Uh, yeah, I believe this is actually episode 269 as well, too. I think I, I based on where I started recounting episodes like three episodes ago, so we're going to stick with that. Okay. Craig, Craig is wearing a Chicago Bears hat that he asked me not to mention, and uh, there it is. Craig, how are you doing with that? Excited about the Carson Wentz era that hasn't started yet? Yeah. <laughs> uh... So I wore this today because I started thinking about how not only did the Bears fail to draft Patrick Mahomes, who played in his second straight Super Bowl this year, they went with Mitch Trubisky and and moved up a pick and gave away a pick to get him. (laughs) Because, you know, you didn't want an impact defensive player with that other pick that they had. But also, they tried to get Tom Brady this offseason, and of course they failed because why would a team that doesn't know how to evaluate quarterbacks be able to land the greatest of all time? So here we are. Looking forward to the next decade of no quarterback behind center for the Bears. Look, I don't want to pile on, but they also could have just stayed where they were and drafted Deshaun Watson, who's not bad either. They could have done that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Or, there were I'm, options. I'm there sure there are options. They chose the wrong one. I'm sure there are about 25 other players that were better than Trubisky in that draft. Um, but here, let's start with some good news for you. The Chicago Blackhawks might win the Stanley Cup this year. They have a point in 10 of their last 11, and they're on an absolute tear. And it helps to be in a junior division. Yes, that's, that's the important qualifier. And no, they will not win a Stanley Cup. No. I still don't think they'll make the playoffs. Uh, that is an interesting one. I, I, I'm, I'm with you because I think Carolina, who's currently out, will get in. And Dallas, yeah, like they probably won't. But this is a – I don't even want to say encouraging start, but it's a um, somewhat surprising start. How's that? Yeah, it's surprising, but I wouldn't call it encouraging. I, I'd be, I'm actually discouraged by it because they need to drop down and they need to start drafting some high-end talent because they don't have much now. And, you know, the guys that carried them to three cups are going to be gone soon. Be that as it may, if the season ended today, um, Stan Bowman, GM of the year, is that where we're headed for this? <sighs> That's all I can <laughs> say about that. Here's the thing, though. Even, even with their recent streak, they're still – fifth in division in winning percentage, which is, I wonder if we're going to end up using again for the playoff format when, when we get to the end of this insane season where we've had what 35 games canceled now. Is that what it is? Yeah. Look, we, um, we're, we're Not canceled <laughs> postponed. Sorry. Yeah. Well, but some of them are, I don't think they're going to be able to re- replay all these. I, I, I absolutely think we're going to be using points percentage by the end of the season. I know that's still a long way to go. Maybe things get better. Maybe they are able to adjust. I mean, they're doing all they can. We're seeing it with Coyotes Blues. You know, the Coyotes and Blues have both been very flexible. The NHL has been very uh, flexible and uh, able to adjust on the fly as best they can. But there are some teams that the, the discrepancy in games from one team to the next isn't quite as much as you would think. But there, it just there are too many teams now that are missing like a week at a time, and I don't know when you're going to make all those games up. I guess, by the way, have you, have you heard any buzz about the Olympics? Are, are we definitely going to have the Olympics? I, I'm, I'm wondering about that as well. Have you seen polling over there? 
Citizens yeah. are not in favor of holding the Olympics. So the, if they cancel the Olympics, the NHL might say, hey, we got some makeup dates now. <laughs> the NHL can just go through August if they need sure. to. Then. Uh, I don't know, Please. man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do a full season. I don't know the IOC when they when they say they're going to do the Olympics. I I tend to believe they're going to. But you're right. That's well, they I mean, lie about a lot of other things, but not that. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, very fair, actually. Um, with um with the local team here where we're recording, seven straight against St. Louis. I'm actually kind of surprised it's not eight straight against St. Louis. To be honest, they just couldn't fit that eighth game in anywhere. Is that what we're calling them now? The local team here. Well, I just mention them by name. Sometimes people listen to this podcast in like the UK or Sweden or, you know, I just want to make sure. Look, they're they're talking about our team here in London. Yeah. I want to make it more universal. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, Coyote. I don't think the Coyotes have a problem playing the Blues every day of the season. I mean, they've, it's not just the last three games. They've been very successful against them the last three years. Yeah. Uh, But it's still strange. I think the previous record for the Coyotes playing consecutive games against the same team in a regular season was three before the season. And then it was four after the Vegas series a couple weeks ago. And now we're going to be up to seven against St. Louis by the end of, uh, I guess, early next week. A couple of thoughts on this. I really hope that when the NHL does its scheduling in the future, they will consider sticking with this series format. It makes so much more sense. It, it cuts down on travel costs. It cuts down on fatigue and probably injuries as a result. There's so much logic behind this sort of scheduling. I hope they will use this as a, a lesson moving forward, even though I hate that expression moving forward. Uh, secondly, the Coyotes seem to have the Blues number. I, I you know, I, I, I can't, I can't underemphasize how impressive it was that they went into St. Louis and won three straight games against a team that is a cup contender. That's amazing to me. But do they just match up well against this team? Maybe we find out really how much progress this team has made when they start facing other competition. But, man, they really seem to have the Blues number, Luke. Yeah, and and I mentioned this to you the other night, but on some level it's even more impressive to me to beat a team like St. Louis three times in a row when you're playing them three times in a row. You know, we always have those stats going into broadcasts like, oh, the Coyotes are – 4-0-2 4-0 and 2 in their last 6 against Florida but that's spread out over 3 and a half years right. or even even you know we saw we've seen in years past where you you play well against a team over the course of the season and maybe you go 2-0 and 1 or 3 and 0 but it's spread out you know you play them in November once you play them in February once you play them in, in early April or something this is three straight you could tell going into the third game St. Louis was frustrated Ryan O'Reilly was really frustrated after the game the the third the fourth game the third win in a row for the Coyotes and yeah i mean it makes for very compelling hockey because it feels like each game is another chapter in, in one big movie. I'm, I don't need seven straight again, unless these teams meet in the playoffs, which I feel like they're going to now in the first round, so They can play seven more. But uh, as far as playing every, every game in pairs of two, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I don't know what you would do under a normal schedule. If, if they stick with, if they try to go back to what they used to, or like if you're the coyotes, you play the flyers once here and once there. I don't know that maybe you don't do it for the Eastern Conference teams, but as far as teams in your conference, absolutely, man. Cut down on travel. Yeah. Hopefully. That's like the Jonathan Tave schedule, right? Didn't he suggest that to Mark Lazarus like last year or the year before? I love that idea. He did. It was, and it's a, it's a good idea. Um, here, before we get uh, too deep into the Coyotes, let's go more around the NHL. And <laughs> what is happening in Columbus? It just feels like, I mean, they're, they're kind of winning some games, but. Uh, a lot of chaos around that team. 
I, I don't know. <laughs> players, lots of players seem to want out of Columbus. And it's not just like, okay, the, you know, things didn't work out here. There, there seems to be some bad juju going on there. Players want out. And then new players arrive and they get benched immediately. <laughs> well, you could see that one coming, right, with Patrick Lining. I mean, that, that one, that doesn't feel like a great fit for a team coached by John Tortorella since the main knock on line a is all he does is score, which is great. Like it sounds like a great thing, except when you're not scoring, then you're not really doing anything. So it, it took what, like two games for Tortorella yeah. to be like, all right, you, you can sit. Um, they also had that game against Carolina over the weekend with the weirdest sequence of events. I can remember where like a goal that shouldn't have counted counted because somebody that wasn't supposed to say good goal over the, the headset accidentally had their mic turned on, and then, yeah, it was just an absolute – and they ended up losing. Uh, just another uh, another chapter in the John Tortorella coaching saga. Moving to, moving to Quebec. Move the team to Quebec. LOL. There you go. Um, the Canadian division. Speaking of Quebec. <laughs> Speaking of teams that aren't in the Canadian division, Quebec. Do I have a solution for you? <laughs> <laughs> We, lo- we moved the Florida Panthers to Quebec. Oh, boy. We, we keep the Canadian division, and there are eight teams, so we don't have to move Buffalo, or we could just move Buffalo north of the border because they're a Canadian division anyway. But there do seem to be a lot of folks north of the border who really like this Canadian division, Luke. And, hey. Shocking. We just talked about this, what, 14 hours ago on the air? Yeah. But <laughs> if there is another team in the NHL, aside from the Coyotes, who actually thinks that a, a more dramatic realignment is a good idea. Maybe it'll get some legs. Yeah, and not just if it's another team other than the Coyotes. If it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, it probably will happen. And there I made this po- point to you. But look, we talked about this before the season. A Canadian team is guaranteed in the Final Four, and Canadian teams don't often get to the Final Four. So it was sort of predictable that at some point they were going to kind of be like, hey, wait a minute, maybe we should just do this every year. Yeah. I don't know how feasible it is. I don't know if the NHL is on board, but I will, I will absolutely stand by the idea that if we find Toronto in the Stanley Cup this year, there's going to be a hard push from the city that kind of gets what they want other than winning hockey when they push for it. And, uh, yeah, that to me, I, I, I'm like 50-50. We're going to see this permanently. I would love to see this because the realignment plan that they currently have stinks. And I, I, I've written about realignment a couple times. I still think that the NHL should go to uh, – eight, four, uh, four team divisions. I think that's the NFL, the NFL model works. Yeah. And I think it's a way to foster rivalries. You can, you can do it scheduling wise so that it's, it's, it's more uh, forgiving on teams, but if they're going to stick with this four division format, they want eight teams. There's a way to do this as well, where you have a Western division that makes much more geographic sense as well. Now, I think what we should do with the Canadian divisions though, because I know you're not a fan of, you know, the division winner automatically gets into the semifinals. You'd rather see, you know, seeding one through eight. And I like that too, to be honest, that ensures the best teams get there. So maybe the NHL approves the realignment deal and doesn't inform the Canadian division that it's going to seed one through eight until after it's approved. Well, I just feel like that's a no brainer. I mean, the other thing is you can't, if they want to go down this path, I mean, I'll admit the Canadian division games are are great right now and they're only going to get better because Calgary and Edmonton play what 15 more times, but um, you, you need to couple rules. I want to put in place. If we're going to do a Canadian division going forward. Yes, absolutely. I, I want the, I want two conferences. 
I want seeding one through eight. You can have the two division winners be one and two. That's fine. But I, I long, even whether we go with the Canadian division or not, I, I hate the idea that you can only play the teams in your division in the playoffs. It's, it's so, I don't even know what it is. It's not even old school. It's antiquated. I, I, don't, I don't get why you would do it. I also, though, I don't want you only playing the teams in your division all regular season. We got to figure out a way around that going forward. But well, yeah, um, that's not going to happen beyond this year. But <laughs> the other thing, though, is is I would um, I would like more conversation about the other next year twenty four teams outside of the Canadian division from a lot of our broadcast entities north of the border because right now, as much as I'm enjoying this division, I feel like there's only seven teams in the league. Yeah, I'm okay with it. And one of those teams is Ottawa. So there's really only six teams. In the league. You know, there are enough outlets down here that talk about the NHL. We can just read those or listen to those. That's true. It is. It has been very entertaining hockey. And I do think Toronto is going to be in the Stanley Cup this year. I will, I'll make that call right now. It would be really cool to see. To be, You know how I feel about this. I think when the Maple Leafs are good, it's good for hockey. So I would not mind seeing that at all. And they're, they're an exciting team to watch. By the way, shout out to... Some of our brethren who got laid off, uh, I think it was yesterday, by Bell yeah. across Canada. Tough day for broadcast journalism in Canada. Um, yeah, I, I could keep going about Bell and the subsidies they took during COVID and then laid a bunch of people off. But, hey, I won't mention that on our podcast. Uh, Bell, let's talk. Oh, yeah. It's, um, well, it, it's just a nasty industry sometimes. And uh, mm-hmm. that was just another reminder of it. Yeah, you're right. A lot of very talented, very good people all just all of a sudden don't have the, the jobs they've been working for their whole lives. So that's uh, pretty messed up. Um, okay, let's let's go back around the NHL. I guess we have to talk about the Penguins here. So let's uh, let's do it. <laughs> I I don't hate the hirings. Uh, I I mean Hextall I think is is potentially a really good GM for them, and I like the uh, addition of Brian Burke. I really liked Brian Burke on the Hockey Central podcast, so I'm going to miss that or on Hockey Central just on on, uh, on TV, he was really good, kind of get his insights and, and in a more unfiltered way. But um, those are two guys that aren't going to take losing very well. And Pittsburgh is heading towards lo- – I mean, Pittsburgh's already there. They have no goaltending or defense. That's not usually a recipe for success. I find this amusing because Brian Burke literally said on the air that the Penguins' cup window had closed. Yep. And now he's working for the team. So when he walks through that door, how do you think the players are looking at him like, uh, okay – so how's it going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a really weird situation. And he's, you know, he, give, give him uh, kudos because he said, I'm not going to back off of that. <laughs> Fine. That's great. So what does that mean for the Penguins uh, as, as they look to the next few years of this organization? I wonder about that. Uh, one other note, uh, Ron Hextall, um, I, I'm, I'm interested in this hire. Uh, Ron Hextall was interested in the Coyotes job, by the way. I spoke to him several times during the Coyotes GM search. They never actually interviewed him, but I know he was interested. His, the knock on him is his people skills. Like he, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He didn't treat people the way they should have been treated. I've heard a number of stories on that. He's kind of acknowledged that to me. Uh, so you wonder if he's grown from that. From a personnel standpoint, as, as far as the moves that he made, he did a lot of good things in Philadelphia. So yeah. from, from that side of the track record, I, I mean, this looks like a, a pretty good hire in a lot of ways. I, I agree with that. I mean, there was – look, anytime a team needs a GM, Peter Ciarelli's name is just tossed into the mix, and then <laughs> that team's fan base just has a panic attack until a real GM is hired. Pierre McGuire. So, yeah, yeah. So that was – I mean, instantly when, when uh, Rutherford – stepped down a couple weeks ago, Chiarelli's name was in all the, oh, here's the candidates for the Penguins job. I, I don't know how he does it. He's like, 
He's like um, when a company, every time you search anything on Google, that company pops right to the top of the list. Whatever that skill is, that's what Peter Chiarelli has. I think that skill is his relationship with Colin Campbell, but we'll, we'll move on now. Oh, okay. Um, no, I, I like, I'm, I'm intrigued by the Hextall hire because like you said, he did some good things in the past in, in this role, but uh, it's, that's a tough job now to go in and be Pittsburgh's GM because your fan base still expects, Hey, we've got Crosby. And if you haven't watched recently, you think they still have Malkin and Latang, And so you're thinking, Hey, this, we should be going all in to try and win as Rutherford was, but they're not winning. They've won one game since January 24th and it's February 11th as we record this. And they have horrible goaltending and no defense. So like Hextall and Brian Burke have to come in and make very difficult decisions and they're probably going to anger a lot of their own fans as they do it. And so at that point, you got to hope it works because they're going to have to like, I was thinking about this yesterday. If you, one of the toughest things in sports is to try and rebuild on the fly, right? Like, especially in hockey, it's like, if you're going to rebuild, you got to kind of bottom out. I tend to agree with that unless you have like a Sidney Crosby or (laughs) Connor McDavid, although the Oilers still seem to be rebuilding. When you have a truly generational elite talent, it should be possible to at least still be decent as you rebuild. So that's a, that's a very challenging GM job right now. Mm. This, this hits hope for me as a Blackhawk fan. Of course they can't (laughs) bottom out because they have Brent Seabrook on the books for four more years and, Patrick Kane, who's still a very good player for three more years, and Jonathan Taves, the aforementioned Jonathan Taves, who isn't even playing right now for three more years. You know, I was thinking about this. They, can't, they don't play the Penguins this year, so I can't have you write this this year. But next year, I think I'm going to have you write a guest column when the Coyotes play the Penguins and just call it something like Luke's diatribe on Evgeny Malkin. <laughs> well, trust me, I'm already writing it, so it won't take me too long to put it into, a, into print for you. I, man, I don't, know. I don't know what happened to him. If you look at the Penguins – if you look at that team right now, Crosby's fine, Gensel's fine, Brian Rust is fine. Can you win a lot of games with three players on your team, Craig? Mm, yeah, not enough. John not Marino's okay. Chris Letang is not Chris Letang. Malkin, I honestly, I, I, it's not going to shock me when, when we find out in like three weeks, like, oh, that wasn't Malkin. He, he's hurt. We had a stand-in, just wear his jersey. You know, I know the Penguins and Blackhawks both won three cups over this past decade plus. Um, but I look at Boston. I know they on, they've only won one cup in the time, but they've been really good for more than a decade. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, they've managed the cap, and that was one thing. They're, you know, you look at their star players, they don't have those crazy salaries that you see for the Penguins and the, especially the Blackhawks. Um, excuse me, I got a little clump there. Do you need a bell? But it's, it's amazing that they're still – I thought – I even said it when we previewed the season that I thought Boston was going to fall off a little bit with some of their losses. And here they are, one of the top winning percentages in the league once again. They're, yeah, they're right at the top. They're at the top of their division. Yeah, well, I mean, they did a, a chunk of it without uh, Pasta, too, without David Pasternak. But, I mean, I look, I know you would do a two-hour podcast just on this one guy, but Patrice Bergeron, 16 points now in the first 12 games of the season. In addition, <laughs> in addition to everything else he does. So, look, it, it is you, – you think like – you look at Pittsburgh and Chicago and you're like, okay, why are you guys falling off? But Boston – it's not like Boston has this – super young team or they've completely retooled. This is still Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marshall. And yeah, it helps to add a David Pasternak, but goaltending, you know, you, you, you make defense and goaltending a priority and you never really should bottom out completely. 
it's really nice to have Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak in net. What's crazy to me about Bergeron, you know, he was in, in his first couple seasons in Boston, uh, at least, I think it was second and third season. He, you know, he's a 70 plus point guy. And then he was never that guy again for a long time. He obviously had a, an incredible defensive role, the best defensive player in the league for several years or the best defensive forward. But late in his career, he's 35 years old again. He, he's become a point-per-game player again. Uh, like two seasons ago, he had 79 points in 65 games. This year, he has 16 and 12. Is this guy getting better with age? I mean, he's defying all the metrics that we know about age of players and the impact on the body, especially a guy who's played the hard minutes that this guy plays every night. Well, I mean, when you factor in some of the injuries he has played through, too, he's one of the first players I remember hearing like, oh, yeah, he, he's just playing through the playoffs with like a collapsed lung or a punctured lung or something. He'll be fine. He's taking face-offs with a punctured lung. You've ever taken a face-off? You know, even when you win, like, it hurts. <laughs> and so especially when you're playing with cracked ribs and all the things he has played with, and you're right, he is, in terms of the most complete hockey players over the last 20 years, like the most truly complete, I'm not, I'm not saying like who's the best scorer. So you got, you're going to have to take McDavid out of the conversation for a second, but the most complete players, he's got to be on the short list of like three or four best. I still don't think there's enough appreciation for this guy. I really don't. No, I think he's one of those. I'm sure in Boston, he's appreciated. Oh, I think sure. he's one of those players that he's on your team. You're like, ah, you never trading that guy. But, uh, but you're right, nationally, because it's not like he scores the flashy goals. It, and a lot of his value, I mean, he was one of the first guys I ever, ever remember seeing, maybe the only one, I remember seeing shut down Crosby consistently. He's really the only one. And Malkin. Yeah, I'm kind of sad in a way that the Coyotes won't go to TD Garden and lose this year because I would like to see Patrice Bergeron play. And, and, and I'm sure he'll be back next year. So I may get to write this story because I, I, I'm just dumbfounded by what this guy accomplishes. I, he's never won an MVP, right? I'm not, I'm not misremembering that, right? He's never won the, the Hart Trophy. No. With, with his complete game, God, I wish he'd be in the conversation more because he's just a remarkable player. And, and I got to say it, you know, they've only won one cup. He's got his cup, so I guess that's okay. But I'd be okay with the Bruins winning another cup before Patrice Bergeron retires because – I think he deserves more accolades than he gets. And well, I know he gets a lot, but I don't think he gets enough still. It, it, yeah, you know, I, I tend to agree. It, and it does feel like Boston has won more than one cup, but you're right. I mean, they just have that one with this, uh, with this group or in this, uh, in this century. Um, you might get to write about Bergeron. I mean, if, if the Bruins may very well make the Stanley Cup, and if the Coyotes play St. Louis 40 more times, they might make the Stanley Cup too. So maybe you'll get Coyotes-Bruins in the final. <laughs> Then I could ask Patrice Bergeron about the 17 seconds against the Blackhawks. Yeah, but I think that's a good way to start the interview. No, and that restraining order, I think, keeps you 500 yards away, right? So you're going to need a long – Yeah, I do have that photo of us, though. I did did get that before the restraining (laughs) order was in place. I didn't know if you just, like, if you Photoshopped yourself 500 yards closer than you actually were. Um, Speaking of not being where you're supposed to be, how about Tuka Rask just leaving right, you know, a minute left in the game the other night? I mean, it helps to have Rask and Halak in the net, particularly when they stay in the net, though. Rask just took off with 59 seconds left the other day. You know, I'll be honest. I didn't look post-game to see if he was quoted. Did anybody ask Rask what he was doing on that situation? I I, I know. I don't know. I still haven't heard an explanation. Okay. I I don't know if he thought the game – he had to down the goal. He must well, have, right? That's, I, I've heard that theory floated. I almost wonder if he thought that it was over and they were going to overtime. 
Uh-huh. He sort of okay. he sort of skated to the bench like, oh, okay, you know, okay, I'll get ready for overtime now. I need a drink or whatever. What do you think? Like a, an eight was a zero or something? He just, I, I mean, <laughs> that was that was. You still, you as coaches say, play to the whistle. So stay in your net until the whistle. That was one of the most. And by the way. When he started skating back to the net, it was not with any purpose. No. He was just like casually strolling back to the net, looking around at what was happening with the play. It was crazy to watch. He did that thing that like you do when you're like, you just like fell in public or something. You're like, I'll just get up and act like everything's normal and nobody will notice. Like Somebody nobody will notice. Look at the music, don't they? Somebody needs <laughs> to find the right music and put that entire scene to music. Oh, I'm sure they have. But you're right. He very much was like, oh, the game's still going on. The puck's in my zone. There's no goalie in the net. Nobody will notice as long as I don't make a big deal out of it. <laughs> exactly. And it was Boston and New York playing, so you know their fan bases are going to notice everything. Nothing to see here. Uh, okay, I have, I have a riddle for you here, Craig, and I don't know the answer. But oh, it's, it's, it's going to be tricky, man. Yeah, well, it's in your notes, so hopefully you know the answer. Toronto, Boston, Tampa, Vegas, and Florida. What do these five teams have in common? They have the top five winning percentages in the NHL right now. This yeah, does not surprise it. you for Toronto, Boston, Tampa, or Vegas. What for the Florida Panthers? Well, let's just say that's a bit of a shock that they're it seven, is. one, and two right now, and in second place in the Discover Central Division. Oh yeah, I wonder if Discover got a discount because that's the division they sponsored. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if, if different divisions cost more. <laughs> That'd be a good piece of uh, information to have. I doubt it, but it'd be fun if that were the case. Yeah, the Central um, charges much because I mean, Detroit, yeah, Columbus, Chicago. It could have been. It could have been the Central Division sponsored by the Natty Hattie Podcast. We probably could have pulled our money together. Here's the thing about the Panthers: we're ten games into the season, so you say, "eh," but it's it's a short season, so yeah. this kind of start could be all they need to get into the playoffs. Well, okay, let's look at this for a second. Florida should be better than they have been. I mean, let's start with that angle. Over the last, certainly last year, and I would say even the year before, for the longest time, to me, the Flyers were the biggest underachievers in the league because it was just kind of accepted they weren't going to make the playoffs, but they had a really good, a pretty good lineup other than goaltending. Oh, and they now, the best player in the league. In oh, yeah. That's <laughs> true. I forgot about that. Peter Laviolette probably thinks they've won eight cups. Um, but you look at Florida and it's like, okay, you've got Barkov. I mean, you've got one of the best young centers in the game. You've got Huberdo. You've got Aaron Ekblad on defense. You've got other pieces. They should be a playoff team or at least a playoff contender every year. Now, this start is, is pretty amazing, although they've played Detroit four times, Columbus twice, Chicago twice. So not to throw too much water on it, but they haven't exactly played the world's toughest schedule. Well, that's part of it. But, I mean, that maybe that's all it takes in this division, right? There's some bad teams in this division. But it would be cool to see the Florida Panthers get into the playoffs. And, and look, I mean, their, their coach knows what he's doing. I was, I was stunned when they got rid of Vincent Trocek. I, I, I didn't understand that one at all. And then the, you, know, you saw the whole Keith Yandel thing at the start of the season. He's clearly trying to institute a certain type of culture. We'll see if he succeeds. I mean, he does have the, the street cred to do it. If anybody does, Joel Quenville does. Um, yeah. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of talent on that roster. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, again, it, it's, it's 10 games in. That's a more significant portion than usual. But there's still a long way to go. They're going to be the team that gets in, and they're going to play like Dallas in the first round. And I can already tell you right now, I will pick Florida and be wrong when we do our <laughs> playoff predictions. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that tip. 
Florida's <laughs> definitely that team that will get me to buy in and then just absolutely not show up in the playoffs. But they well, are. They're, they're a fun team. Nashville looks terrible this year. They look terrible. And, yeah. and, and we, we saw this decline coming. I didn't know if it'd be this steep. Maybe the, the Coyotes' victory over them last year in the qualifying round was basically the notice to the team itself that, hey, you're done. Your window's over. Yeah, that was a cool little cup run you had, but it's all over now because they look terrible. Detroit is terrible. Again, I, I said it at the start of the season. I don't think Columbus is a playoff team either, and I don't think the Blackhawks are a playoff team. So there you go, Florida. <laughs> you have a great opportunity to make it in a really crappy division. Yeah. No, I think Florida's a playoff team. I, I mean, you, you think Dallas right now, who is technically sixth, although if you start going by points percentage, it's different. But in total points, they're sixth. I, I think Dallas is a playoff team. And I think Carolina, I mean, I, I do think it'll be probably Tampa Bay, Dallas, Carolina, Florida, and probably in that order too. But I do think Florida's in. And honestly, not a great matchup for Tampa Bay, although I'm not sure Tampa Bay is losing another game this season. But who cares, right? Like to have a Florida first-round playoff series is a really cool thing. I would love to see that. That's, that, that's great for the NHL if they can have that happen. Yeah, that'll get a lot of publicity. The Florida playoff series when four Canadian teams are playing each other in the first round of the playoffs. South of the Florida will get some pub. Yeah, no, that would be be a lot of fun. It actually looked like we might even have a, a shot at that last year because Florida was in the bubble, but then they yeah did not really yeah. show up. You might have a lot of scouts like that are finding a reason to go to that series. <laughs> yeah, we're all here to scout um, this uh, player. Yeah, that's it. We all need to see uh, Carter Verhage, and we uh, yeah we we need to make sure we know what he's doing. Uh, okay, so do we want to get into the Coyotes? I think we can now. Okay. Three straight against the Blues as we record this. They'll play them on Friday, Saturday, and Monday. I do want to start there, Craig. What do you think happens with that eight game, eighth game against St. Louis that is scheduled for like March or something? Are they really going to have St. Louis fly out here just for one game? I don't know. It's, it is kind of weird, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think everything is so fluid right now that not even they know. We have to wait and see if more games are going to be postponed. I'm not even convinced that the Coyotes are going to end up playing eight games against every team in their division. It may be an unbalanced schedule. We may not play the amount of games that we thought we were going to play because at some point you run out of makeup dates unless you're playing every day for two straight weeks, which obviously they can't do. At least we don't think they can do that. So <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't know. And I, I, I think it's crazy to even speculate at this point. It is weird that that one game is sitting out there. You almost think, yeah, just squeeze it in, get it done right now. But they probably, they're probably looking down the road and saying, eh, we got to – we got to see what else happens. We got to see which teams are available, which teams are not. I don't know if every team is going to be able to play the amount of games that they're supposed to play. Yeah, I really, I, as, as we get deeper into the season, I just don't know how they're going to. I, I can't imagine a scenario where we have all 31 teams having played 56 games by the end of the season. What is potentially complicating matters is the team right now that the Coyotes can't get a game against because the other team can't play is Minnesota. And I'm 100% in that camp, and I have been since day one of the season, that it's going to be the Coyotes or Minnesota that get a playoff spot in this division. So it's going to be weird if it comes down to, hey, the Coyotes or Minnesota, and they've played twice this year or whatever, and, and right. everybody else yeah. has played eight times. I was, um, you know, after, after the, when they were scheduled to go to Minnesota, I was really looking forward to that series because I wanted to get a sense of where they were. But it's, it's too bad that they haven't played the Wild. But in some ways, you know, if they're able to make up those games – man, it could ramp up the intensity for those games all the more with, with both teams realizing what's at stake there. Yeah, that would be almost like a – can you imagine if they had to play six straight against Minnesota with a playoff spot on the line? That's a, it's basically another play-in series like we saw with Nashville last year. 
Um, what we have seen from the Coyotes so far, and I don't think we were too far off on this podcast in our preseason predictions in the sense that, you know, everybody looked and they're like, oh, they lost these draft picks and Taylor Hall left. And, and the Taylor Hall thing makes an impact. But you losing draft picks or a weird departure with your GM, that doesn't affect your team the next season. The draft picks are going to hurt you down the line. I still think this is a playoff team. And through 12 games, they have looked like a playoff, like a legitimate playoff team. And I would say about eight of them. And they've looked good in three other ones. They've had one bad game this season. And it's not, at least so far, it's not like, oh, you know, whoever. We're not talking about like Lawson Krause has seven goals. That seems like an anomaly. The way they're winning games is the way you would expect them to win games if they're going to win. Yeah, I would agree with that. And what's interesting, you know, everybody will look at the players that are taking a, a step up this year in terms of offense. Nick Schmaltz, uh, Connor Garland, of course, is on another planet right now from even where he was last year. Clayton Keller has shown some signs lately. Jacob Chikrin has taken a step forward. Christian Dvorak is averaging better than a point per game. You look at those and you say, oh, okay, those guys have progressed. They're producing more, so the team is scoring more. They're not scoring more. They're basically where they were last year, yeah. and they're – they're having success. So that's interesting. Yes, they are still sort of the scoring challenge Coyotes, but they're winning games. What happens Like when, what happens when OEL comes back in the lineup? What happens if a guy like Lawson Krause stops hitting posts and starts putting it in the net? What happens if a couple other guys start scoring, you know, in their, in their bottom six or, you know, some secondary scoring? Like Derek Broussard has been really quiet lately. If they can get boost from those guys – this is a really interesting team if this top line can sustain what it's doing right now and if Christian Dvorak is, is in fact, just blossoming before our eyes, which he looks like he's doing. Yeah, I mean, and even Kessel really hasn't scored that much lately. Like, I know he got off to a good start, but um, Dvorak and Garland in particular, and I made this joke the other day, but I, I, I wonder if Clayton Keller is secretly behind this schedule where they just keep playing St. Louis until he gets going because it has worked. Like, it has jump-started him, as playing St. Louis always does for Keller. But Dvorak... In, I'm not comparing him to Patrice Bergeron, but it's similar in the sense that he has a lot of responsibilities up and down the ice in addition to producing offense, and he's doing the offensive part too. But man, Connor Garland looks like a – he was good last year. He led the team in goals, and we talked to him on this podcast for the season. He's like, yeah, I worked on this and this and this, and I'd like to add these elements to my game. But guys always say that, you know, and then you, you maybe don't see it show up or you see it show up in little bits here or there over the course of the next year or two. It's been flat-out obvious since the puck dropped game one against San Jose. Craig, he's like three times the player he was last year. I completely agree. He's, he's become the distributor that he talked about being in the offseason. Um, he's become more structurally sound away from the puck, which is something he and Rick Tockett had talked about. And I think he's the guy that's driving this line. Look, I think Nick Schmaltz is having a, a really good season too, and he has been more of a distributor as well, a more of a play driver. That's a really encouraging sign, and he's defending pretty well too. I've always thought he was really good in back pressure, underrated in that area, but he's taking care of his responsibilities in the defensive zone. And, and look, Rick Tockett said he, he called them the short leash line because they had to defend the puck. They're doing those things right now. But when you look at Connor Garland, he is clearly the guy that is driving this line. You talk about guys that create space for their linemates because of their size. Connor Garland's doing it with his speed. Like we were talking about this last night on the air. Defensemen, you, you, you watch them try to defend him in the corners. They'll go for the, they'll, they'll try to defend the first move. They'll defend the second move. And then when he makes the third move to cut back, they're like, they just back off a little bit. Like, okay, I, I can't touch this guy. So I'm just going to give him a little space and try and, you know, defend the passing lanes with my stick because yeah. I can't touch the guy. 
Colton Pareko defending him the other day looked like a large animal that encountered like a, a badger or something. And it was like, oh, this will be, this won't be a problem. And then it just, Gar- Garland just starts flying around in circles and the bigger animals like, you know what, I'll just go over here and let somebody else deal with this. But it's, it's, right. it's not. Oh, this dude's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's really right. They're like, yeah, it's not worth it. There's other players on the ice. But it's um it's not it's not just for show. Like there's a there's a reason why he's doing what he's doing, and it is opening up the offense for the Coyotes. And you know they had those two games where they got shut out back to back, and you never you should never allow that to happen when your goalie gives up two total goals in two games and you you lose both games. That's that's rough. But in the other ten games, they've scored thirty three goals. I mean, if this team scores what is that three point three a game? If if they could even just be up around two point eight two point nine. I like their chances against a lot of teams. Yeah, they don't match up well with Colorado, but they do very well with St. Louis. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that we and we just talked about that. I wonder if this is just a, a situation where you match up against a certain team, and we'll find out down the road. But this line was not playing together until this series. So can they keep up? Their possession numbers are ridiculous right now. Yeah. They, they re- they're, they're just holding the puck in the offensive zone, and Connor Garland is obviously a big part of that when he darts five times in the corner and has the puck on his stick the entire time. Nick Schmaltz is a big part of it too. If they can keep that up and I mean, let's face it, the best way to defend is not to defend. If you have the puck, you're, you're in great situation and and they have been. And then even though they haven't produced on offense, let's credit uh, that, you know, the Johan Larson line, that's another line that, and that's why they got Johan Larson. He could get in and sustain a four check if that line could start producing just a little bit, it would obviously help. You need them to do that, to be honest. You can't have these guys, you know, continuing along with no goals. Yeah, but yeah. to simply sustain offensive zone time and take it away from the other team, there's a benefit to that. Yeah, I thought Johan Larson's game on Saturday was mm-hmm. was masterful. And I know that he didn't get any consideration for, like, player of the game because other guys had really good games too. But if you're watching that game, you realize, like, yeah, they probably won because of Johan Larson in a lot of ways, drawing penalties and, you know, got in a fight, which doesn't necessarily translate to a win. But he's – um and, and, you know, just – he was – did a little bit of everything in that game. Nearly scored a couple times, just made a lot of stuff happen. Won face-offs, which the Coyotes have a hard time with against St. Louis – but, you know, we're 12 games in, eight of them have been against Vegas and St. Louis for the Coyotes. So, yeah, on the one hand, it's like, okay, you haven't played Colorado yet. On the other hand, you really haven't played Anaheim, San Jose, or L.A. very much or at all. And I don't think L.A. is terrible this year. But if the Coyotes were playing like this against Anaheim and San Jose, you know, you're going to win five out of six, six out of seven games. Yeah, I mean, against Anaheim, you have to score two goals to win. Yeah. Yeah, I, again, I agree with you completely there. Yeah, 75% of their schedule has come against two cup contenders. So when the schedule balances out, I'm curious to see where they are. I'm also curious to see how they they match up with some of these other teams. But, man, it's been fun to watch a, a top line play like a top line because we haven't seen that in a while. And you've got two players on the Coyotes who are averaging better than a point per game and one who's one point off in Nick Schmaltz. Jacob Chikrin has 10 points in 12 games. That's not something we've seen around here much lately, Luke. No, it isn't. And and just one last point on that top line, the hesitation was always, well, if we put these guys together, you know, we're going to be giving up as many goals as we score, as many scoring chances as we get. But to your point, okay, maybe maybe a, a trio of, of Garland and Schmaltz and Keller isn't intimidating defensively, but if they have the puck the whole time they're out there, it doesn't matter. If they have the puck by the St. Louis net or by the opposition's net, then it doesn't really matter how good or bad they are defensively. But yeah, to have 
I mean, Chikrin in particular, and, and I feel like we saw this last season, but then he took a step back in the bubble. So it was kind of like, all right, what do we, you know, is it just going to take some time for him to get going? It seemed like he was trying to do too much in the bubble, to be honest. Like he was just almost overamped for that, uh, that situation. But when you look at how the Coyotes have performed through 12 games, and then you realize they haven't had Oliver Ekman Larson for 10 and a half of those 12 games, you yeah. know somebody stepped up. It's not just Chikrin, but it's mainly Chikrin on the blue line. Yeah, and they, they really need OEL back to, to give more balance to their blue line from an offensive standpoint. But yeah, I mean, he's among the top 10 in, in the NHL among defensemen in scoring, and that's, that's been a godsend. Um, he, he's not afraid to jump into the play. He's not afraid to go to the net, which you need sometimes. You need to activate the weak side D. They've been preaching this for so long. Get them up in the play, not just through the neutral zone, sometimes in the offensive zone to create opportunities. And he's been doing that more consistently than anybody um, Jordan Osterley a little bit lately has, has helped produce some offense, but they need to get more from their blue line. Uh, one more thing on Chikrin. Uh, again, we're, we're watching him really develop into the top defenseman on this team, and that's really encouraging. Something to focus on for Chikrin. Hit the net. Yeah. But he's missing yeah. the net a lot. He's getting a lot of shots blocked. He's got to get pucks through to the net. And Tockett has mentioned that you got to get the shots through, and he doesn't. he didn't say specifically Chikrin, and it's not just Chikrin. But he has said, like, if you're going to take a shot from the blue line, that needs to get through, which is ironic because I, I feel like Chikrin was pretty good at that last year, or at least he was one of the guys where it was like, hey, the Coyotes are going to pass for a minute and a half of their power play and, and not actually shoot. When it got to Chikrin, he was like, I'm just shooting. We need to. And generally in the past, you know, you have the scale of, like, Coyotes defensemen, how they shoot. Now, one end of the spectrum is Michael Stone, where if he shoots it, you know it's going to be about 12 feet to the left of the net and probably hit the glass. Chikram was much closer to, like, the OEL side of things, where if he shot it, it got through. That, that has been, you're right, his one kind of weakness so far this season. Sometimes I'm wondering if he's taking too big of a windup, you know, somewhere between the slap shot and the wrist shot that OEL likes to do a lot of the time, which I, I don't think Rick Tockett likes because it just there's not enough velocity so you want to surprise the goalie when you have traffic in front. Um, I don't know. I, I think there, you, can, you can tip a wrist shot more easily, but there, there's something to be said for just hammering it, but maybe just that, that quick snapper to get it through when he, when he has a shooting lane. He, he's got to do a, a better job of that, and I think that'll come. That's something that I'm sure that they're working on, and if, if he can start doing that, man, he's going to be a crazy presence because he has such a hard shot. It is, I mean, it takes a lot of guts to stand in front of his shot, as we saw very recently. Yeah, that's true. Um, I do. Before we get into to questions, I, I want to. What do you think it is about this team where, in years past, they just wouldn't go to the net? In the post game, every time talk, it was like, "I need guys to go to the net. I can't, we can't do what we want to do." And uh, the fans are you and I watching it, like, dude, just somebody go to the net other than Connor Garland. And this year, all of a sudden, they're going to the net, and lo and behold, they're scoring goals and they're winning hockey games. Christian Dvorak is the, like the poster child this year for go to the net and have your stick on the ice. And how many goals has he scored that way? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's, it's dumbfounded me because how many times have you heard coaches say it in the playoffs? Yeah, we just weren't going to the net. Why do, why do teams get away from that? I know it's hard. I know you can get hurt there. But it is where the goals are scored. When you take a look at the numbers, that's where the goals are scored. So I don't get why guys get away from it. Other than, you know, maybe just, you know, you, you're floating around the perimeter. You, you start overthinking the game. You, you start looking for plays instead of just being more direct. I don't know. I, I honest, honestly don't have an answer to that. But it is clear that that's what they need to do, and it's clear that that's part of what is 
driving their success right now. I can't tell if, if this is just a connection that isn't there, but I, I feel like those, those two series against Nashville and Colorado, which were very different, obviously, in the bubble, that was experience for a lot of these guys that have, have taken their game to a new level this season, the, the Chikrins, the Dvoraks, even the Connor Garlands, where it was like, you know, you had success against Nashville in a series, whether you want to call it the playoffs or not, it was still that series format where it's like, hey, we lost this game, we better win the next two or whatever. So there's something to be said there. But, I mean, Colorado ran them out of the building the last couple games, and they did it by Nazem Kadri just walking to the net. So I do wonder if at some point that hit home where it was like, hey, why don't we just do that? You know, isn't that, isn't that what Rick Tockett's been saying for two years? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, you know, as according to some fans, Rick Tockett just wants to play the finesse game because, you know, that's who he was as a player. Just dangle <laughs> on the outside. This Rick Tockett? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just great. It's like it, that, that is, that's probably the Dave Tippett only knows how to coach defense one. That, that's, that's the uh, corresponding statement for Rick Tockett for me. It drives me crazy when I hear that. It drives well, I, me crazy. I will say this then to piggyback on that. I think Rick Tockett is now with a GM that wants to construct a team more in Rick Tockett's mold. Uh, but that that really shouldn't have changed yet other than, you know, in addition of a guy like Johan Larson. Here's and the thing, like, though. Bill Armstrong made it pretty clear that he was evaluating this team. And, and I don't think any of the veterans going into the last year of their contracts, with the, you know, with the exception of like Jordan Osterley, expects to be back here next year. What Bill Armstrong was saying, and he made it very clear, the group that he was talking about, it's the group that we're talking about right now that's stepping up. He made it clear that he was going to be evaluating their games very closely. What has Bill Armstrong, what, what, what system has he come from? How do the Blues play? They're a team that absolutely plays a heavy go-to-the-net style. So if these players were paying any attention at all, they knew that their GM was looking at them and seeing if they had the fortitude to play the sort of game that is required to be successful in the NHL. So maybe that's a part of this too. Yeah, and it's a great point. And it is, it's really, it's not just the core that this team is built around, the young core that's stepping up, but those are primarily the guys. I mean, we've been talking about Schmaltz and Dvorak and Chikrin, and they're going to have to pay Connor Garland and, uh, and Clayton Ooh. Keller now recently too. Um, it's, yeah, you know, it, it's, that, those are the guys you want to step up. Like, no offense to some of these other guys, but if we were saying, like, oh, they're winning all these games because Alex Goligoski and Derek Broussard are scoring all the goals, you're like, oh, I don't know how long these guys will be here, big picture anyway. And then you have some real concerns about guys you're signed to, you're committed to long-term. The guys they're committed to long-term, for the most part, are stepping up. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a weekly evaluation with Keller for a while because he's being paid so much more than everybody else, and consistency has been an issue before. But as long as they're playing St. Louis – He's worth $7 million a year. <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, real quick, four listener questions here. One more, too. Uh, Auntie Ranta, what do we – I mean, he's playing. He's been great, but are we concerned about his availability? Well, I mean, I didn't get a definitive answer when I asked Rick Tockett yesterday. He said it was something very minor. Um, I think he got injured in warm-ups, um, so he, he wasn't available to be the backup for that game. I'm not sure if it was the previous game where he got hurt. Um, so that's that's – Concerning again, right? He, he played one game earlier the season, then he was injured. He came back for one game and then he was injured again. Is he going to be available at least to be the backup tomorrow night, Friday night? I don't know yet. We'll, we'll find out more today. Hopefully it is just something minor. But again, they, they can't keep riding Darcy Kemper. I think it's been okay. He's maybe played one or two more games than you would have hoped right now. But this is going to stack up at some point. If Ronta's not available, you need to turn to Aiden Hill. You need to have a backup you can depend upon. 
Yeah, you know, the thing I would say about Kemper is when they've had to sort of ride him into the ground in the past, he is one of those weird goalies that gets better the more he has to play. But they're about to play a very condensed schedule. We got our first back-to-back coming up here on Friday and Saturday, which is crazy they haven't had a back-to-back yet. Yeah, and three and four. And, you know, who knows when they have to start fitting these Minnesota-Colorado games in if if they're able to. It, no goalie. You don't want your goalie playing. Hey, we're going to have you play three games in four nights. And then, oh, by the way, it's not like you get five days off after that. We're playing on Thursday and then Saturday. Like they're going to. And, and the thing about Ranta that is so vexing if you're a Coyotes fan, when he plays, he's lights out. Yeah. Yeah. So he's I mean, he's, there's just no denying that he's got elite numbers when he plays. Yeah. It's just, and I don't want to look, I don't want to, I just wish the guy's body would hold up more. I really yeah. do. I, it, it may be as simple as that, that his body just isn't constructed to, to manage this sort of load or any load at this point. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but it's definitely concerning that he's suffered, you know, he's sustained another injury, however minor it is. Uh, anything else you want to hit on here before we get to listener questions? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, just a quick note on ASU hockey going into their final stretch of this oh, yeah. season. They've got eight games left on this uh, all Big Ten, all road schedule. Um, I, I, look, it doesn't even matter what they accomplish uh, in terms of results. They're, they're not going to the NCAA tournament. Um, I think they're probably a little disappointed with the way the season's gone, but when you consider the obstacles they have faced between playing an all road schedule, having injuries, having guys out for COVID, whatever. It was, it was a, a growing experience for this program for sure, and there, there are better days ahead with the arena coming and recruiting getting better. But just a couple of things that uh, I guess the one thing that I would I would look for over these final eight games is Cole Brady and Net. They need to find out what that they've got in that freshman. They haven't gotten good goaltending this season, and that's been a, a big part of their lack of success on the ice. He played really well in that second game against the USA NTDP. He uh, stopped 31 shots, gave up one goal. I thought he should have had a shutout in that game. They just had a late breakdown. If he can turn in efforts like that on this road trip, at least they know that they have one guy to build around for the future. But I still wonder if Greg Powers is going to go out and try and find a second goaltender because I, I know he has not been happy with the goaltending this season. And to be clear, when you say this road trip, you mean the entire season. Yeah. It's different in college because you're not going to have your whole team back the next year, obviously, but in a weird way, I mean, I, I don't remember ever seeing a schedule like this, obviously. How much of a bonding experience do you think this has been for the group that's going to be here next year and maybe even the year beyond? Like The way the bubble paid off for the Coyotes, could this potentially pay off for ASU next year when they're playing a normal college hockey schedule? Oh, I absolutely think so. These guys are literally just living together morning, noon, and night. I mean, they, they're not not—they're allowed to go out for walks when they're on the road, but it's not like they can go into a restaurant or a shop. They are they're pretty much quarantining with each other the entire time, not even interacting with other people in the hotel. So yeah, it's like, it's like being a family. And I I think that will pay dividends for them down the road. And by the way, because of COVID, I think a number of the seniors, the key seniors are going to come back because they've been granted another year of eligibility by the NCAA. So other than a handful, a small handful of new players, I don't think there's going to be much change to this roster. So they have a, they have the potential to do something really special next season which could launch them into the following season when they move into their new arena. But what a, what a story that is to like, you guys are going to, for the love of playing hockey, you're going to be quarantined together for months and months. And basically that this is your life, right? You're just yeah. playing hockey on the road with no, no reprieve, no home games ever. 
Um, okay, let's. We got a lot of these. Let's start with uh, Coyotes fans, Germany. Thoughts on Soderstrom and Tucson? Played only one game last weekend. Good start for Jan Yenick as well. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't uh, received an answer yet. I don't know why Victor Soderstrom missed that second game down in Tucson. Uh, I don't know if it's a minor injury or something else. So I'm not sure yet. I've asked the question, but I don't know yet. Uh, but good to see Jan Yenik. Yenik, I should say. Oh, as yeah. he told me. Uh, right. Good to see him get on the board early because you know, when I look at Tucson, the story for me, uh, as someone who covers the Coyotes, the story is the development of their elite prospects down there. And we're talking about Yenik. We're talking about Soderstrom. We're talking about Ivan Prozvatov. And, and maybe at some point, Barrett Hayton gets some games there and Matias Michelli comes over late in the season when his season's over. That, to me, is, is what to watch with Tucson because that's the future of the Coyotes. Where do you, just real quick, I know we're going way off here, but Michelli in particular, this is a guy that doesn't get talked about a ton. He has become one of their top, I don't know, three, four prospects in the entire system. Yeah, and I, he's cooled off a bit, actually. If you look at his stats lately, he's cooled off a bit. Um, I haven't touched base with him. I did a story on him earlier when he was red hot. Um, I know Mark Bell is working with him more on just getting to, you know, playing between the dots, which is, of course, the philosophy that Rick Tockett preaches in, in spite of the fact that some people think he doesn't. Um, so that may be an adjustment for him trying to, you know, find his scoring opportunities on the inside rather than on the perimeter where – you can still do it, right? When you're playing on the larger ice sheet, there's more time and space. So you can do those sorts of things. But they're trying to prepare him for an NHL game. So maybe that's part of it. But yeah, he's a really intriguing guy. And if, if COVID allows, it would be really cool to see him come over when their season is over and play in Tucson as well. So you can get a, a closer look at him on the smaller ice sheet. Uh, Eldon writes in, in honor of the late night tweet, are you guys night owls or morning people? I'll answer that one first. Absolutely a night person, 100%. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Now, now, listen, I'm I'm an old guy, so I still get up early. It just means that I'm tired most of the day. But <laughs> I definitely prefer the late nights to the early mornings unless, you know, I can sit outside and have a coffee and, and listen to the birds in my quiet neighborhood, Luke. Did you mean iced chai tea? Is that what you it's meant what, when you said coffee? No, definitely not what I meant. There are very few adjectives attached to my coffee, as you know. The unicorn frappuccino that Jamie used to get? Oh, God. Um, the real reason we got rid of him. Well, we had to for safety reasons after drinking a unicorn frappuccino. Also from Eldon, also, are there any plans for future Grizzly or Raptor game audio being played during Coyotes games? Look, that was a one-time thing. <laughs> and they just – I assume this is you, – you have Toronto who's feeling really really good about themselves with the, the Maple Leafs, and they're playing in Tampa who's feeling really good about themselves with the Buccaneers and the Lightning. They just decided that everybody should have to listen to their audio during the TV feed. That's, that's what I'm assuming. Uh, I, I hope – I hope Fox Sports Arizona does something with that. Like in their next segment, they should do something funny with that. Yeah. That was crazy. That was unique. I've never heard anything like that. And it clearly wasn't their fault. No, no. And they've got, I mean, look, they've, they will probably have fun with it. Cause you've got a broadcast team with Todd Walsh and Paul Bissonnette and Tyson Nash and Jody Jackson. Like they, they Travis have a lot Connell, of fun. Yes, yeah. There's some yeah. senses. Yeah. Some good senses of humor there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gilbert Anthony, how many likes to get Jamie Eisner back permanently? There's not enough people on Twitter, Gilbert. <laughs> I, I have nothing more to add to that uh sarah would the blues be an ideal playoff matchup for the coyotes in a real best of seven series well right now it's looking like that isn't it <laughs> and when you look at rick Tockett's record against the blues in his tenure here it's it's crazy impressive i don't know I think the, 
the Blues are a team that's built for the playoffs, right? That style yeah. succeeds in the playoffs. So I don't want to go too far with that. And let's see how these next three games play out, if they can sustain this. But, man, they, they, they do seem to play well against St. Louis. They do seem to be in the Blues' heads at this point, I think. Yeah, I, I guess there's a couple ways to answer that question. First of all, I think it is important to note that you're, you're not getting caught up in the Coyotes playing well against the Blues because they've done it for three games. It's really been three years. That's yeah. that's the thing. Even coming into the series, they had played well against St. Louis the last couple of years under Tockett. If you're telling me my options, and I think this will be the case, the Coyotes make the playoffs and they can either play Vegas, Colorado, or St. Louis in the first round. Yeah, I'll take St. Louis because those – I mean, you're talking three of potentially the best – five teams in hockey, six teams, and they're all, three of them are in the Coyotes division, and they don't match up well with Colorado. And, I mean, all three of those teams are built for playoff success. So it's tough. So, yeah, I, I would prefer to, to face St. Louis in, in that situation. Look, and St. Louis also lost Peter Angelo, right? So that's – I mean, I, 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 I've noticed that in this series. I've yeah. noticed the lack of his presence, especially in the defensive zone. So, yeah, if you're choosing between those three teams for a, a first-round matchup for the Coyotes, I'd absolutely take the Blues. These next few games, these next three that are still against St. Louis, you know the Blues are going to push back. They were frustrated going into that that fourth game. I mentioned Ryan O'Reilly's comments afterwards where he was like, I, we, we gave that team life. Like, oh, that seems rude. Um, by the way, Ryan O'Reilly somehow is open on every play. Like, he just finds the quiet parts of the ice. It's ridiculous. He's so good. He's so but good. He really, really is. But um, when you see him play every single day now, since that's who the Coyotes play, you get a better appreciation for it. But the Blues are going to push back hard in these next three games. So, like, if the Coyotes are still winning in these next three against St. Louis, that that's going to tell me something. Like, if they go one and two in these next three, it's not great because you need the wins in the standings, but I'm not going to be, depending how the games play out, that's not going to really tell me that much. Like, oh, the Coyotes weren't real. If they go, like, two and one or somehow three and oh mm-hmm. in these next three. Yeah, if they that's... go two and one, if they go two and one in these three games at home, Wow, because you're you're all but done with your series with a cup contender and you've got that many points out of it, that that portends well for the rest of the season and your chances of making the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Coyote and Philly, if you could have any food in the Valley delivered to you while recording today, what would you pick? And also, who is the next Yote you're going to have on the show? Huh. I'll give a solid shout out to uh, my buddy over at DeFalco's, Anthony DeFalco, and that, you've been to DeFalco's, right, Craig? I have, yeah. It's a good spot. It's it's, uh, it's amazing. I haven't been there in probably I don't know. I mean, I haven't been inside obviously in a year. I haven't even done the curbside pickup in a few months, so um, that's always good for Italian food. But uh, yeah, I'm hungry, so pretty much anybody. So for me, uh, I'll, look, DoorDash, you can get almost anything uh, delivered to your house now or one of those services. But one place that does not do it, and I still think is the best Chinese food in the Valley, is Cho's Kitchen, which has a couple locations, one in Chandler, one in Tempe. That's, that's where I'd go. Their Szechuan spicy beef, by the way, it's unbelievable. It's life-altering. It's that good. Is that the one that you, uh, myself, and, and remember Jamie used to be on the yes. show? Is that the one we all went to? Yes, and he tried to order a unicorn frappuccino. It was very strange. But I was like, Jamie, we're at a Chinese food restaurant. This isn't Starbucks. He doesn't get out much. so <laughs> I guess not. Um, yeah. Man, remember the Chinese food place in Vegas when we were there for the award show? Yes. Yeah, it took us was... seven hours to get there, but. It did, but it was only a, it was only a mile away. It was. <laughs> it was it our, our nav system that was just taking us down all those side streets. <laughs> um. It, did, was that nav system called How to Get Murdered? Something it it like felt that. like it. It, it felt like it. 
Vegas. Yeah, that's because you took us down literally every one of them, uh, guiding me to this Chinese restaurant that you raved about. And it was it was primo. Once we got there, it was fantastic. Who are we going to have next on the podcast? Who should we have? Uh, well, maybe we should so, throw that out to the listeners. Yeah, give. Why don't you give us ideas for who you want? The last two lengthy podcast interviews I have done were with Connor Garland and Connor Garland. So as much as I like Connor Garland, I think we should try somebody uh, new. But uh, you got to get a good talker, though, right? Yeah, I don't know, who are the best talkers on the team? I guess it depends what you want. Like if you want, if you want somebody to break down the game, Chikrin would be good. Yeah. If you want, um, I mean, if you want somebody to just have fun for forty minutes, Christian Fisher would be good, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. See, that, that's who I was thinking about. Now, if you want someone who is going to be no nonsense and give you very short answers and and really not deal with any of your nonsense questions, uh, we'll have Christian Dvorak on. Maybe this should be a game where we just describe what the interview is like and the other one has to name who the player is. Yes. Why are you asking me that question? Wasn't it obvious? I'm not saying Christian Dvorak is like at, at all uh, confrontational. He's not. He's just, he's all business. It's, it's funny to watch him in post-game interviews. Like after these incredible games that he's having, he's just like, yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, here's the explanation. It's, it's not just, yeah, it's like, oh, it's very simple if you just break it down on a molecular level. Right. No, it, it's not, um, it, it's not just in post-game. So he has the, he had the goal the other day. He had the, the quick pass to Keller, who scored with less than a second left to tie it. And then Dvorak wins it in the shootout and then skates back to the bench like, all right, now what? Right, exactly. Expressionless. It's, it's hilarious to watch. And they all talk about it. He, he never smiles. <laughs> um, Cam Paul writes in, if Dvorak keeps playing and producing at least close to the level he is currently, should he be considered for the Selkie? This brings up an interesting question, and uh, sorry, Cam, I'm going to go off a little bit. It's going to be really tough to vote on awards this year when guys are only playing within their own little bubbles. Yes, I agree with that, and I don't, I don't think that's been discussed before. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, especially if you're playing in the Central Division. Wow, what a leg up you have <laughs> on the competition! Like anybody on Tampa is like, sweet, I got a really good chance at an award this year. That's true. They're going to win every award. Yeah, it's um that that is look to answer your question, Paul Cam. If he if he plays this way, yeah, if he's going to play this way for a full fifty six games, I do wonder if we're going to see some some new names in some of these awards because it is a shorter season and because it is such a unique season. That's not to take away from what he's doing, but I mean that award in particular is really tough to to crack the uh, the the list of finalists because it always just kind of is like, oh, yeah, it's Kopitar and Bergeron and Ryan O'Reilly. You know what I mean? They kind of have their three, four, five guys they choose from. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of the voters dive deep, deeply enough into the uh, important stats when evaluating this. I think that's part of the problem. Um, and I haven't done it with Christian Dvorak yet. It's a little too early to do that. But it would be interesting to take a look at that. Um, a couple of thoughts on that. He's been so important to them because you need secondary scoring away from that top line. and He's giving it to you. Where would they be without his offense right now? They'd be a one-line team, right? Um, but, but also, I, I mean, when, when you talk about his impact uh, away from the puck, that, that part of his game has grown as much as anything. I know he's producing a lot offensively now, but his face-off percentage has climbed every year. He's really reliable in the dot. He's really reliable down low, probably their most reliable center down low, you know, doing all that grunt work that Rick Tockett demands of his centers in this system. He really has become a complete player. I think I'm going to start diving into those numbers a little bit more to take a look at where he stacks up with some of the other, uh, you know, best defensive centers in the league, because we all know 
the Selkie trophy goes to a center. It never goes to a wing, That's which true. for the most part I'm okay with because they have greater duties. Although I think Marion Hossa probably deserved consideration. Craig, when you dive into those numbers, where could listeners read about your, uh, your results and your findings? Oh, at azcoyotesinsider.com. Thank you for Thanks. asking. And that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm the setup guy. Um, Cheryl, I have a feeling you already plan to discuss the Penguins hires. True. So instead I'll ask, is there any frustration within the Coyotes with all the schedule changes given they have avoided COVID so far? And I don't know. It, it's, I don't think the Coyotes are frustrated by it yet. Um, I mean, they're winning a lot right now. <laughs> So, but it's also not unique to them. Like every team outside the Canadian division in this league is is dealing with it either peripherally or directly right now. Well, I I don't think they were happy to be stuck on the tarmac in St. Louis for a second straight season. I, you know, I, and I thought, and I I had heard for a while that they were actually going back to the hotel and they were just going to stay the night, but you know, it turns out they ended up just gutting it out and, and getting out early Tuesday morning. But it's crazy that that's happening. It's, you know, you, at least that, that that rescheduled game with St. Louis wasn't on Thursday. It was yeah. on Friday, so they got time to get home and get acclimated before they had to play again. But now now you're looking at three and four. It's going to be a grind. But it it's the same way for both teams. And I, I think you're right. As long as they're winning, you just roll with it. And they knew they had to. They knew they had to be flexible this season. They knew these sorts of things were going to come. Do you think when they saw the ice on the on the runway, Connor Garland was like, hey, can I just grab my skates and get out there and work on some things while we're waiting? I can't answer that question. Okay. Because <laughs> I feel like he was out there skating circles around the plane. Uh, Tim Richardson, we kind of discussed this, but is the success of the short leash line specific to the Blues' inability to match up, or will their success continue against the other top teams in the West? Great question. We'll just, yeah, we'll just have to find out. But I, I, don't, I don't look at St. Louis, I'll answer at least this half, as a team that can't match up. St. Louis can match up with pretty much everybody. So I, I, I think everything is, they could, right? And, yeah. I mean, they were at home, so they had the last line change. So they got to try a number of combinations, and it didn't work. Yeah, when you have Ryan O'Reilly on your team, yes. they, they shut down a lot of – St. Louis is a team where if, if you have one line against them, and this, this speaks to your Christian Dvorak point, they can typically take that one line away. It's just, you know, are you going to be able to beat them with your other lines? So I don't think it is simply that'll only work against St. Louis – but I don't know if it'll work against Colorado or Vegas yet. We won't. We just won't know. Um, let's. The questions keep coming in, by the way. Oh, boy. We're going to be here for, well, hmm. is, uh, last pod, Craig said we would miss McKinnon. This is from Kevin because he's week to week and the Avalanche got COVID and the games have to be rescheduled. So did Craig jinx us? Oh, that's interesting. I never even. You can tell when I'm reading questions for the first time. I'm reading like I'm a five-year-old. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, Chris and Phoenix is napkin jummy as committed as the devoted Craig and Luke, or should Jamie simply be committed? Well, I mean, he's not here committed, uh, in a, an institutional sense. I maybe, I don't know. I'd support that, but napkin jummy never seems to show up. No, he doesn't. Uh, Los Coyote Steve has Christian Dvorak become the top line center. We've been waiting for that. I would say it's too early on. Yeah. Way too early. We're only 10 games in, but. Look, I, I'm, I'm really happy with Christian Dvorak in a number two center role if he's going to keep playing like this. And look, if, if Nick Schmaltz and that top line can do what they're doing, that's great. <laughs> center depth and center production. Yeah. Two things that we are not familiar with in Arizona. Uh, Dangle Snipe Belly, just how much money is Connor Garland getting paid this summer? I don't know. He's an RFA. That's the thing. So, and we don't know. We don't know Bill Armstrong's negotiating uh, MO. We, we, he hasn't done it before, really. I mean, he sat in 
for a couple of years when he was with St. Louis, but he wasn't got the guy making the decisions. COVID is going to impact all of these talks because teams have lost so much money. We have a new ownership group that we don't really have a sense of. I, I don't know yet. All I can tell you is so far there haven't been any talks. He is one of those guys where I, I do want to see him get paid because of the – look, it's the path he has taken to get here, but it's also the way he plays where it's like this guy, if he gets paid, he's earned it. And we've seen him score goals with his face. It was every He just goes to the net, and he's built like a guy that probably shouldn't go to the net. I don't think he's a guy that you have to worry about getting paid and suddenly dropping off either. No, nope. He's so committed to the process and improving little areas of his game. When you talk to him in the offseason, it's so different than talking to most players. Most players say, yeah, I want to work on everything, get bigger, get stronger, you know, work on my shot. Connor Garland gives you such detail on what he's doing in the offseason. He will identify very specific areas of his game that need improvement, and then he'll set to work on him. And he comes back the next year, and you're like, wow, like we are this year. Like, who is this guy? We, we thought he was good last year. He's ridiculous this year. I don't worry about him at all because he has the work ethic and he has the self-awareness to understand the areas of his game that need improvement. Uh, got a couple more here before we wrap up. I don't, I don't want to go seven hours. And also the laptop's about to, uh, to die here. But um, Dustin Rayhorn, when does Garland get an A? since we're on the topic of Garland. I don't think there's like a rush to do it right now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking uh, in terms of uh, their leadership group down the road. I don't know. Uh, although I will say this, when you start to go down, you start to look a couple years down the line, you're like, okay, who's this, the young core this team is built around? I think in that group, he's, he's absolutely one of the leaders for sure. He might be the leader. Sure. Um, AZ Hockey Nut. Are the standings in each division in line with your preseason expectations? Are there any surprises so far? So you mentioned Florida already. Yeah, we've already talked about Florida. Let me, let me look at the, the uh, standings again since we're calling. I, I've I got mean, one. The, the West division to me is, is sort of playing out. I wrote this actually playing out as exactly as I thought it would. Um, I would say I'm, I'm surprised by Montreal yep. playing as well as they are. Um, but beyond that, hmm, not so much, to be Man, honest. These, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, some of these divisions, like the East is almost exactly what I thought it was going to be. The Central's a little thrown off because some of these teams haven't played very many games. So, like, if Dallas – again, if you just go by points, Dallas is sixth. If you go by points percentage, they're higher. I, I guess that would be a mild surprise. But to me, when people say surprise, the one that jumps out to me for sure, and maybe I was just wrong about these guys, is I didn't expect Montreal to be this good. Yeah. Yeah, Montreal and Florida, I guess, are the teams on that list then. Yeah, and Florida's even less of a surprise to me than Montreal, but, I mean, yeah, considering how extreme their record is. Um, Taylor writes in, if they were to send Hayton down to Tucson, which he's, uh, which I wish they would for his development, who could – that's that's Taylor, that's not me. Who could realistically fill in for him as a third-line center, and is that what's stopping them from doing so in the first place? Yes, that is absolutely what's stopping them from doing so in the first place. You know, when you when you talk about trying to have success right now, which I still think has to be secondary to Barrett Hayton's development, that is absolutely what's stopping them. But you're talking about guys like Chapu or Peterson or even a guy like Freddie Gauthier filling in in that spot. They're, you know, I, I don't know that they're entirely happy with those players being regulars in the lineup, but that is the situation right now. I am curious to see how this plays out over the next 10 games because – if Barrett Hayton, you know, he, he does a lot of smart things on the ice. I'll say this for him. He's a smart hockey player and he's learning, you know, to play at the pace of the NHL. But 
if the guy doesn't start producing offense, do you, do you start worrying that you're hurting his confidence and hurting his development by, by continually throwing him out there in these situations? Wouldn't he be better served playing at, you know, sort of off Broadway where he can play a lot of minutes, a lot of situations at the top of the lineup and, and get his confidence back in the AHL where he can, again, he can learn the pro game, but do it again in a, a mostly a stress-free environment. Did you just refer to Tucson as off-Broadway? That's way off-Broadway. You like that? Yeah. yeah. Not that I, I live on Broadway when it comes to Arizona because, or the Valley, because if you drive the entire length of Broadway, you'll be like, oof, it yeah. just doesn't get any better. It is a roller coaster ride. If you just, I did that once in college with my couple of friends. We're like, let's see how far this goes. For some reason, we did it at like one in the morning and we never most, spoke of it again. Most junkyards per capita of any street in America, I'm convinced. <laughs> um, I think what you said in there that really stands out, though, is, is the confidence factor. You watch these games and Hayton's not producing offense, but I don't think he's been bad. So, in that sense, it's, I don't think the, he's not hurting the Coyotes. And I do think there's a certain element of, hey, you're playing meaningful games at the NHL level. That should help your development. But the question is the confidence because of the style of player he is. He is a guy that expects to score goals. And we see it with the very best players in this league sometimes. If they're not scoring for a few games, it maybe gets in their head and they go into a slump. You don't want to, you don't want to hurt Barrett Hayton's confidence. He's still a very young player. You still just drafted him, what, two and a half years ago? Yeah, and that's where you have to rely on your staff to evaluate and to talk to him and get a sense of where he is mentally and psychologically. He's a tough kid, and he, he, you know, he's been through some crazy stuff the past couple seasons, and it hasn't really seemed to bug him that much. So you, you have to rely on them evaluating him from a, from a personal standpoint to see where his mind is. Uh, we'll close on this one, Craig. Cole writes in, thoughts on fans wanting to fire Rick Tockett. So Cole's just trying to fire you up. But also, uh, just, just talk it in general. You know, he's, he's signed through this season. Yeah. And we have a few other questions about Tockett. Where, what, do you, what do you see for him long term? I just think that he's sort of waiting to see how this thing plays out, just as Bill Armstrong was waiting to see how this plays out. I do think these guys are like-minded in their approach to the game, and that helps. They see the game the same way. So that's an advantage. But, it, you know, look, if the Coyotes have success in this, you know, as Tockett has turned them, the Rat Pack – continues to progress the way that they're progressing, you know, maybe he gets down the road and he thinks, yeah, this is, this is something that I want to be a part of because I see hope here. I finally see hope here. Again, when we look at the Coyotes in the first three years of Rick Tockett's tenure, I know they ha- didn't have a lot of overall success, but they basically started from scratch yeah. and, and started building this thing up. They have improved each season. And if this continues what we're seeing this year, this would be a fourth straight year of improvement under Rick Tockett, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's uh, a future for him in Arizona at that point. If, it, it, yeah, that's a great point. If they keep doing this, that is four straight years of improving year after year. It doesn't, that almost never happens. That is actually linear progression, which yes. is, is virtually unheard of when you, because you're right, that first year, I, mean, I remember when he came in talking to him, talking to some of the players, and they were all like, it's kind of like the first day of school at a school that just got built. You know, yeah. like nobody knew anybody. And um, and they started where they go, oh, 11 and one or oh, 10 and one that first month or whatever. But it's yeah. it's it has been steadily uphill since then. I get that they didn't like win the cup yet, but I think it is important to note that Bill Armstrong, I know we've done this twice now on this podcast, but that Armstrong and Tockett have a very similar approach to the game, like you just said. And, we, and you know, that's that's something I do want to see play out for 
a while and see what that could potentially do because that wasn't necessarily the case before. Yeah, and if look, if these these young players develop into really good NHL players, that's that says a lot about your coaching staff as well and the development that's going on within this team. Again, when you when you judge Rick Tockett's actual win loss record, remember to look at the roster. Yeah. It's just you can't you can't make wine out of water. It's it, I mean there there are major deficiencies on this roster. And there have been for most of his tenure here. You can't ignore that. And you can't ignore the fact that they don't have the, you know, those really elite prospects, the, the franchise center or the, the clear Norris trophy candidate defenseman yet. Maybe, maybe Jake, Jacob Chicken becomes one, but they haven't had those pieces. So you have to, you have to put on those lenses when you're judging his performance so far. And I would say specifically like Chikrin, uh, Dvorak, Garland and Lawson Krauss, I would say those, those four guys, they're not the only ones, but you can pin their development, whether you like it or not. And I would say at this point, everybody with the way the season has gone, probably like it. Those are almost all directly tied to Rick Tockett. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And, and uh, by the way, I, I mentioned franchise center and Norris trophy defenseman also like elite goal scorer. They haven't had that either. So no, they really haven't. nobody scores 30 goals for the Coyotes. So when, when you're working without those pieces, I mean, what do you want? <laughs> what do you yeah. want? Been that way for a while. What you want is more games against St. Louis because it doesn't seem to matter against them. All right, that's going to do it for us. For Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.